Oh, no, no, go ahead. No, no, you go no, first. No, no, I insist. Yeah. What if I told you there was a temple that was older than any known civilization? A temple that was built by hunter and gatherers who lived more than 10,000 years ago. A temple that was hidden under a series of earthy hills that rose like an ancient pyramid from the dry landscape. It's a hot summer's day in 1994. And Klaus Schmidt is driving through a barren landscape of southern eastern Turkey. And he's on his way to a site that has been reported by a local farmer. He has heard that the site has some strange stone formations, but doesn't expect much. Probably just another medieval cemetery. Perhaps even a Byzantine fort. He has been working in the region for a few years, excavating another Neolithic site at Nevelichori. There he discovered a remarkable building with T-shaped pillars and stone sculptures. He's fascinated by this prehistoric culture, but he also knows his time is running out. Nevelichori is about to be flooded by the Ataturk Dam, and he must salvage as much as he can before it's too late. He arrives at Urfa Museum where he meets with the director. The director shows him some artifacts that had been brought in by local farmers. There are small stone figurines of animal and human carved with exquisite details. They look very similar to the ones he found at Nevelli Shori. But they are much older. Some of them date back to the 10th millennium BCE, the dawn of human history. He is intrigued by these figures. He asks the director where they came from. The director tells him they come from a nearby hilltop where there are some mounds of reddish soil. He says that the site was first surveyed in 1963, but it was dismissed as unimportant. He says that farmers have been digging there for years, looking for stones to use as building material or fertilizer. He offers to take him to the site, and Schmidt agrees. He gets in his car and follows the director to the hilltop. He doesn't know it yet, but he's about to make one of the greatest discoveries of his life. He sees dozens of massive stone pillars, arranged in circles. Some of them are carved with animal reliefs and human-like features. They look like nothing he's ever seen before. They look ancient and mysterious. He gets out of his car and walks towards the pillar. He feels a surge of excitement and curiosity. He wonders who built them, why and how. He wonders how old they are and what they mean. He wonders if he just stumbled upon the world's first ever temple. This is the story of Gobekli Tepe, a mysterious archaeological site that dates back to the 10th millennium BCE. It's considered by many to be the oldest temple in the world and one of the most important discoveries of the 21st century. But who built it? Why and how? And what secrets does it hold beneath its soil? Welcome to A Conversation Before the World Ends. I'm your host, Kareem, and join us as we venture to the dawn of humanity, to the world's first ever temple. Okay, guys, and welcome to today's episode. I'm your host, Kareem. And I am Eamon. And welcome back, Aim. It's been, you've been sorely missed. Um, I don't know if you've heard the last episode we did without you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the beer episode. Yeah. Yeah. So until you meet my contract demands. <laughs> I don't know, we're still in negotiation, but Kareem wants to replace me with AI. I didn't want to replace him with AI. We were talking about... AI. He's like, yo, you know AIs can be your co-hosts? <laughs> I didn't say that. Okay. There's a program called Co-host AI that helps you transcript your episodes. That's, not I, that's you all that's I just not mentioned. You You're like, you know I could replace you for $15. <laughs> $10. $10. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Um, Socialist, sure. Anyways, so Aim, welcome back. So the reason why I didn't do this episode solo is because um, I think you'd enjoy this topic uh, more than like the beer episode was enjoyable to do. Um, do you have yeah. any comments about the beer? It's haram. Fair enough. Um, Next. <laughs> Next. Um, here we are. Do you know anything about Gobekli Tepe? Sounds like Noah's Ark. <laughs> yeah, there's actually, by the way, there is a very uh, biblical explanation to it. Because, yeah, I mean, based on the intro, initially I'm like, this can probably corroborate a lot of like... Biblical stories? Because they say Noah's Ark was in Turkey and the flood, so it was a civilization before the flood, you know, that kind of stuff. So right? the two things it displays a lot in, and of course, the reason why it's kind of gaining prominence again is because, um, do you know that Netflix uh, conspiracy documentary... Ancient Apocalypse, the one with the guy from uh, who was in Ancient Aliens. Not familiar with it. Anyway, so he's one of those who like believed like in Atlantis, like Atlantis was a real place and not a metaphor, you know. And he's like, oh, so he's like, so he goes all over like every single country in the world and says this was where Atlantis was. Gobekli Tepe, Gobekli Tepe, in a weird way became like the perfect prototype for that. Atlantis. Atlantis. But- or. Christians come out and say it's where the biblical Garden of Eden was. But is it far-fetched to not say that there is a civilization that not had powers, but was very advanced, that got sunk and all that? Look, so the concept, I know Atlantis is the word that turns people off, but it's not far-fetched to think that there was a civilization that was thriving and then... I think, by the way, if I had to be completely honest, I think Atlantis... And I don't want to turn this to an Atlantis episode. We'll save that for another time. But I think Atlantis was used to explain what happened to the Minonians. If you remember when we did the episode on the Bronze Age, we talked about basically about the Minonians briefly and how the there was an people. earthquake that collapsed a civilization that was in Crete with the ones that worship uh, the Minotaur. And that's where the myth of the Minotaur comes there was, there, there was that civilization that existed, but then it got sunk by an earthquake. Like an earthquake came, caused a tsunami that pretty much washed over the civilization. I think, so that's this, the Greeks knew about this place. I think Plato used that as a metaphor of like, look how a thriving civilization could just in one day disappear. And I think he was trying to use it as a metaphor, like we shouldn't get too hubristic because look what happened to the Minonians. He used the term Atlantis because so much time has elapsed. But I think like the the... The name doesn't matter, but like it's based on the Minoanian civilization. It would make sense since Crete is really right on the borders of Greece. This Fair. is a story they would have known. Fair. Let's get, we got sidetracked. Yeah. Anyways, so let's start off. So, Gobekli Tepe. Um, Say it three times. Gobekli Tepe, Gobekli Tepe, Gobekli Tepe. So, it's located in Anatolia, which is the southern eastern part of Turkey. Where a lot of artifacts tend to be found. Now, that's a good question. So, it's not a question. It's, what? A, it's a statement. <laughs> That's a good statement. So, <laughs> can I not ask? Can I not make valid statements? Even my valid statements are questions to you. No, no, no. <laughs> um, so it's a good. It's a good thing you started because that's going to explain why the geography. And that was my chapter one. So chapter one, the geography. So to use an analogy from space, have you ever heard of something called the Goldilocks zone? No. So the Goldilocks zone in space is called the, like the habitable zone. So it's a concept in astronomy that describes a range of distance from a star in which a planet could support life on it. Kind of using the term Goldilocks as if like and it's... How far is that space? 
So, like, for example, Earth. Earth is how far from the sun? It, no, but that's the thing. It, it, it all, it's all relative to the size of the star. Okay, so the bigger the star, the, the further you have to be, to but you have be. to be in an exact range that perfectly dwells, you know? I mean, you can't be a bit too extreme. Yeah. One side you can't be, but it has to be like perfect balance. Okay, so that's called the Goldilocks zone, right? It's the distance. So Earth, for example, is in the Goldilocks zone. The rumor is Mars at some point was in the Goldilocks zone, hence why Mars was able to have life. Have life. Um, Down life. Given the, like, given the sufficient atmospheric pressure that these conditions might be just right to grow for life. And this is what scientists look, look for when they're looking for life on distant planets. They're like, okay, we found the star X. Let's see from the planets that are near it, which one would be perfect in the Goldilocks zone. The problem is that most stars are too big that the, distance, that the, pla- the planets aren't far away to be in the Goldilocks zone. You know what I mean? Now, why am I using this example? Because the Earth, you have something similar. Ever heard of something called the Fertile Crescent? Yeah. So it's an area on Earth that's been seen as the Goldilocks zone. It's, uh, so the Fertile Crescent is a region in the Middle East where it was considered the birthplace of civilization. It's shaped almost like a crescent or like a half moon. So what's, what's this place? Persia, the Persian Gulf to the Mediterranean Sea. So you have from Egypt, to upper, like North Egypt, through to the Levant, up to southeastern Turkey, into Iraq, Iran. That area was called the Fertile Crescent, where the weather was just right for habitation to grow. Um, the Fertile Crescent is named because... So it's, yeah, so it covers parts of modern Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Palestine, Egypt, Turkey, Iran. Where a lot of the origin of Western society... Seven. Exactly. This is where the birthplace of civilization, again, because everything was just right. You know, for it to expand. Literally in the middle. Mm. The Fertile Crescent is named because it's so rich of fertile soil. And it was watered by a lot of rivers. So you have the Tigris River, the Euphrates, and the Nile. Yeah. Yusuf has also provided irrigation for ag- agriculture. So it helped humans to sit and, and like create agriculture. Which is a whole different episode because I think it's the most important yeah. human and, and intervention yeah. of all time. The Fertile Crescent was home to one of the most oldest and most advanced civilization. For example, out of, out of it, we got the Sumer, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, and the Phoenicians. Uh, these civilizations, also, like, at some point, I think, we also got the Hittites, Turkey. Yeah. Uh, who would, of course, become Greek, Macedonians, and so on. Because if you think about all the other places, are in, it was inhabitable. Although I, I, I would argue that East Asia was pretty fair but if we're talking about human migration how it started yeah, yeah usually the first place to stop was there ethiopia in yeah. The center, yeah so you go from ethiopia you're pretty much crossing still desert to yemen up north you find the fertile yeah, crescent yeah. or you where, go from uh, egypt that's you, where they settled yeah. and then like you know what this grand so green and that's why they started their thing yep exactly um so these civilizations would start would develop ma- writing mathematics law literature science religion and trade we all know that, right? Yep. It also witnessed the first, like, witnessed so many historical events and conflicts. For example, um, you have historical figures such as Harambi, Gilgamesh, Alexander the Great, Caesar, Cleopatra, even like prophets, like, merged from that area of the world. Rest in peace, Harambi. <laughs> Harambi, too. I said Harambi. You said Harambi. Oh, did I? Yeah. Hammurabi, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It's always on your mind. The great gorilla Harambi was also from there. (laughs) He was originally from the Fertile Crescent. (laughs) 
the prophet. So Muhammad. this is the area where we find Gubekli Tepe, right? It's situated in the southeastern region of Anatolia next to a city called Urfa. Urfa. Uh, by the Syrian border. So it's b- literally between the Syrian and the Turkish border. Uh, what's not unique about this site is that Gubekli Tepe is not the only site in the area. Uh, and it, there's like at least half a dozen sites that go back like longer than civilization. So to kick off, so part two, the discovery. So to kick off the discovery, we'll need to go back and we need to talk about something called the Southeastern Anatolia Project or GAP. A ma- so it was a massive... Why GAP? It's, it's like the Turkish call it GAP. GAP, okay. Yeah. Based on the store. <laughs> no, I think it's like a... Every, yeah. Okay, nice. <laughs> a massive regional d- development project in Turkey uh, that took place in the 20th century. And the, it had a direct impact on Gubekli Tepe and its surrounding because one, it was so ambitious that they were trying to construct 22 dams and 19 hydroelectric power plants to, to send water to southern eastern part of Anatolia. The problem is when you're, um, when you're trying to produce hydro, hydroelectric energy and increase agricultural production, which will, of course, like create employment opportunities and so on and living standards, you're affecting that area and that if that area is going to eventually get submerged in water because you're diverting rivers from dams. Yeah. So you're creating uh, you're creating artificial lakes, artificial waterways, canals, blah you blah. You overflow it. So a lot of places get sunk. Yeah. So they were planning to flood these ancient river valleys, which of course is housed to so many archaeological discoveries. Scientists had like at that time Turkey was also growing a sense of national interest, of course after Ataturk and rise of Turkish nationalism. Uh, you had an interest in trying to find the history of the Turkish people, right? And trying to prove, as a, as one does, is try to prove a line of greatness that ascends to throughout time. So with that, and with the fact that the dam's going to flood, they tried to push a lot for ex- archaeological excavations to find the origins of the Turkish civilization, if you will, or to find the origins of civilization itself. So one of the first archaeological surveys took, that took advantage of this was conducted by the Istanbul University in 1968. The team surveyed 300 sites along the Euphrates River, um, and they recorded sites with different various periods. So they found that they were all from Paleolithic uh, to the Islamic era. They also discovered that there were several previously unknown Neolithic sites that were there, like some that showed signs of early food production and early settlements. One of these sites was the city of Shianu. Uh, it would later become one of the most important Neolithic sites in the world. Shina was excavated by a joint team of the Istanbul University and the University of Chicago between 1968 to 1991. It, the site revealed a complex sequence of architectural and cultural changes that spanned for more than 2,000 years, from around 8,630 BCE to 6,800 BCE, which makes it the oldest site at the time. The site consisted of several distinct phases of layers, each one with its own characteristic features. The earliest phase was called the round building layer, which consisted of circular huts made out of mud brick or stone. With wood posts and roofs, the huts were surrounded with stone pavements and they were served as courtyards or working areas. The next phase was called the grill plan, which was rectangular buildings made out of stone foundation and mud brick walls. The buildings were arranged in rows along streets and alleys. The site also showed signs of developing social organization and somewhat of a hierarchy. There was differentiation in house sizes, shapes, decorations, and locations. Unlike the Indus Valley, which we covered, all the houses looked the same. Same, yeah. This one, the houses began to look different over time. So it was 
individuality yeah. within the community. So there's clearly status. Uh, Shienu was not the only Neolithic site that was excavated because of Gap. Another site that made headlines around the world, world was Nivali Chori, uh, which was in the small side valley of the Euphrates River in a region that was planned to be flooded by the Ataturk Dam. Nivali Chori was initially in- investigated in 1979 by a team from Istanbul University who thought it was an early Bronze Age site. However, it turned out to be much older than that. It dated back to 8500 BCE and to 7500 BCE. But the world is only... 6,000 years old. Yeah, I know. Weird. <laughs> Weird. Uh, this was this site was excavated. So lying. Yeah, this is all fake. fake. <laughs> this, this is, is one of your mythology stuff. <laughs> this is one of our fake history <laughs> episodes. <laughs> so is all this a lie? Yeah. Yeah, it's like the end, I was going to just say bullshit. Well, but Jesus said otherwise. <laughs> yeah. The site was excavated by a German team led by Harold O'Christ. <laughs> Harold O'Christ? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds Irish to me. Harold O'Christ. Yeah. The site was excavated by a German team named Harold Hauptmann. Hauptmann? How do you spell it? How do you spell it? I want to know. H-A-U-P-T. Haupt. Haupt. Man. M-A-N-N. Hauptmann. Hauptmann? No, that's more British. Harold Hauptmann. Hauptmann. Harold Hauptmann. Harold Hauptmann, from 1983 to 1991, but then it got submerged by an artificial lake in 1992. Uh, Nivelli Shori revealed a series of astonishing discoveries that challenged the conventional views of the origins of civilization and religion. The site consisted of several large stones and buildings and enclosures that were arranged around the central open space. The buildings had stone foundations and mud brick walls. The floors were made out of terrazzo, a type of composite material consisting of burnt lime and crushed stone. The buildings were had in internal partitions that created separate room and spaces. Some of the rooms were had raised platforms, some of uh, that served as sleeping or storage areas. All this was like, showed you that they were like building this in 8500 BCE. Mm. But what made it truly remarkable that there was T-shaped pillars found in the inside and the outside of the buildings. Uh, these pillars were made out of limestone and were three meters high and one meter in width. They weighed about six tons each, and many of them were decorated with relief carvings of animals such as lions, bulls, foxes, boars, and snakes. So they had their own kind of spiritual... That's the thing. No one knows what's, what's it about. Like, okay, was it just like drawing animals they saw, or was this was like this something some reverent? Ceremonial, yeah. yeah, like the native... Yeah. So these pillars were interpreted by Hotman and his colleagues as a monument representing anthrop- anthropomorphic beings or deities. So they thought that maybe these animals were like hybrids, human with animal faces. Or I'm a lion spirit. Yeah. I'm this. Uh, but the problem is, it wasn't alone when it came to these pillars. As you have may guess by now, another site would be discovered that's older, but that would have these temples. This is where we get to Kubekli Tapi. But how did Gobekli Tepe to come to discover it? So, like we said, 1992, when, got, when the Ataturk Dam swallowed the... A year after you were born. After a year I was born. Um, swallowed the place beneath them. Uh, of course, now it became... Like, during this time, Klaus Schmidt, a German archaeologist that was working under Harold Hauptmann, uh, decided to go look for something else. So, he, he went to the Urfa Museum, hoping that um, he would be able to... Uh, find another location to excavate. So this takes us to 1994, 
where we talked in the beginning of the episode about how Klaus Schmidt would go to the Erfa Museum and someone and he would be given a piece of like some uh, artifacts that were found from a hill nearby that a farmer sent over. He he realized straight away that these these uh, stones were older than they looked. People thought it was like almost Byzantine and Emperor. He's like, no. no, he's like, no, that doesn't look like it. So what does Gobekli Tepe mean? It's Turkish for pot belly hill because it looks like someone's belly. Oh, that's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Simple. Simple. About seven or eight years earlier before he went to Gobekli Tepe, there was a local farmer named Ibrahim Yildiz and his son Mahmoud found the site found the site while clearing land on the hill to me near their home so they were clearing clearing land to farm mm-hmm. and they ended up finding these like artifacts they hit something hard with the shovel and dug up strange statues but one of the statues showed a man's genital clearly like they like a nude person uh, which made them feel ashamed and confused about no, it no, so they hid their discovery for a few days because like they were worried that if someone saw it they're like oh you're worshiping idols yeah, yeah you especially know? naked idols yeah Sooner than later, other, vi- other villagers would come to see it. And they were afraid of being accused of worshipping idols that they tried to go to a local imam to tell them, what, like, we found this and we don't want to be, like, what should we do? Yeah. Uh, the local imam actually helped them out and he said, take these, sorry, take these statues to the Urfa Museum uh, because they might be important. Uh, and he, Good on him. Yeah. Like, another imam would most likely tell him to burn it or break yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, the father and or the be s- greedy about it. Yeah. The father or the son took the horse cart to the museum, but the museum manager told him at the time that these statues were not valuable. Oh, wow. Yeah. They felt sad and they didn't want to take the car, the horse back home like with these big-ass statues, so they just left it in the museum garden. They're like, here, just take it. We don't want anything from it. Of course, no one could blame them or the museum staff for this mistake because no one at the time thought a site that this old could exist, right? Well, the museum guy is that guy in the movie who denies the people. Exactly. This is not the first time Gobekli Tepe was actually about to be discovered. So in the 1960s, Robert Braywood dug up Shienu, which inspired another American archaeologist named Peter Benedict to explore loca- similar locations in the area. Uh, Benedict didn't grasp uh, the true significance of his discovery, but when he found Gobekli Tepe, he thought it couldn't have been as old as Shienu. He thought it was either an Islamic burial site or a cemetery of course if it's an islamic burial site um you can't undig it you know yeah, what i mean because yeah, you can't disrespect it. the dead yeah so he left it or at worst case he thought it was a christian ce- a christian cemetery from the whole country is building an ancient burial ground this leaves us back to 1994 when klaus schmidt arrived he soon realized that this was the initial assumption of this was a burial ground was completely false he saw unearthing more stones on top of the hill, re- revealed by local laborers uh, that there were T-shaped pillars in the hill itself uh, that he had encountered in Neville Shorey. These pillars were scattered throughout the vicinity with minimal trial excavations. Artifacts emerged echoing the discoveries at the Urfa Museum that played a pivotal role in A Turkish archaeologist, Murat Aknem, went to join Smith and marked a moment of unspoken recognitions where they both agreed that this site is older than it looks. On that pivotal day, Klaus Schmidt acknowledged that the oldness of this, his prior research plans were completely, like, I this is something have, beyond. It must have been a great revelation yeah. for him. So he devoted his whole life to this site. There, Klaus Schmidt, I think, would die 20 years later, I think. If, he, if I'm not mistaken, he died 2000, maybe 2004, if not 2014. Um, but, so 10 years later. Yeah, but uh, he spent his whole life there. He even settled next to it and married 
a Turkish lady and just... They knew they had something. He had um, something. This was going to change history. Man. On the proof today, Klaus Schmidt acknowledged the, the oldness of his prior research plans, compelling him to devote his whole life to the site. A year later, an extensive team convened in inaugurating an archaeological endeavor of unprecedented proportions. The unsuspecting farmers in the became involved in the excavation. He actually, they actually bought the land from the farmers and they let the farmers work on the excavation with them. And now the farmers, or his son, is now the night guardman of the okay, site. Nice. So he actually got a job and his job is to look over Gobekli nice, Tepe. Nice. The excavation progressed methodically, employ, employing cutting-edge scientific techniques. A significant re- revelation surfaced early on. The entire hill was covered in handcrafted megalithic structures. The whole hill is covered. Fragments were abundant. Many uh, were calling it gardens of stones. It draws parallel to a sub, semi-subterranean enclosure in Neveli Chori. So it, it looks exactly the same, but they realized that Gobekli Tepe was older, 12,000 years wow. ago. So that makes it shortly after the last ice age. Wow. Uh, and it was significantly larger in scale too. It wasn't even like a small temple. It was huge. It was a home mountain dedicated. With a mere couple of seasons, uh, Gobekli Tepe was approximately 25 acres of land. Uh, it became a global archaeological phenomenon. Over 20 stone circles emerged, uh, each sheltering pillars that soared to nine feet in the air, adorned with carvings that predating the Stonehenge and the Egyptian pyramids by 7,000 years. So that's how old it is. Yeah. So to th- if you want to put it in perspective, when the pyramids were built, this was 7,000 years old. Already. How crazy. Very, yeah. Uh, crafted by artisan and pottery maker... They found that they're like the monuments echoed again, like we said, like it's exactly what they found in Devil Troy. They're like, there must be a connection between the two, but this is a few thousand years older. Mm-hmm. He, so, in the present day of the discovery, right? Uh, now that two decades have passed, two decades and plus have passed since the discovery, they've only been able to unearth 5% of the site in the 20 years it has been discovered. Only five years? Only, no, only 5%, five until now? Has been uh, unearthed. Until now? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And that's like saying, but the Gobekli Tepe maintains to be a paramount site every time they're learning something new about it. Part three, Gobekli Tepe. So it was in the mid-90s that a new chapter was beginning of our tale as humans was unfolded. The problem is, as like when they, the more they excavated uh, Gobekli Tepe, they realized that there was ovens, no places to make food, no traces of domestic life, no links to anything in the past. So they didn't see any form of domestication. They didn't see any form of farming. They just saw temples? Just saw rocks being built in T-shapes with animal carvings in it. Klaus Schmidt reported that the absence of human habitation stood in contrast of Neveli Shori. Now, as we said, Neveli Shori had housing settlements. Two floors. Two floors, hierarchies, blah, blah. This one was just... But this was a thousand years older. Nothing. Not even. They just built this. But then why did they build it? There was nothing around it. Like, at least, like, even a place where you could offer food to something you know why i know why yeah we'll get to the explanations later you can save it for then (laughs) (laughs) so gobekli tepe in its silence seemed to speak of ceremonies rather than dwellings there was tapestries woven from hunter and gatherers threads it seemed to hearken to an ancient time where this when the land sustained its inhabitants it's maybe they assume maybe it's a place of pilgrim. People go there to make a pilgrimage. Drawn by sp- sporadic festivals that saw monumental tributes uh, for some forgotten god, ancestor, spirit. No one knows, right? Yet the site itself wasn't meant for a year-round habitation. So, that is, so the assumption was that like 
Maybe Gobekli Tepe was a place of pilgrim. They just built it then. Someone Pil- and like every once a year, you do a pilgrim there. There was a close enough society where. Yeah, must have been. Uh, the earth beneath it held secrets too. A uh, vast array of animal remains were found. Could be the, uh, just a burial site. Maybe uh, from cattle to gazelles, unfolded tales of like life. Like they were buried, uh, or just dead. Like just remains. Okay. Tales of life and survival, yet these creatures remained wild and untouched by hands of domestication. Uh, similar stories echoed through the plant remains. They found wild almonds, pistachios, grains, but not, nothing harvested. Just like stuff picked, gathered. So just some greenery place with temples and what. Exactly. There was a speculation that Go- Gobekli Tepe might have been a birthplace for farming. That like they took wild fruits in order to harvest them. And they didn't want to harvest there because they're like, it's endless supplies. Yeah. Uh, but, but there would have been signs of exactly. But extraction. the thing is, close to Urfa, the city that's closest to Gwelkitepi, they found ancient grains. So maybe people settled in Urfa. Would move and w- come back. Yeah. One, of course, one theory suggested that there was a controlled use of a cereal born from strains of local resources. In 2004, uh, Stephen Mithian, uh, the, he wrote in his book After the Ice, he ventured further. He painted an image of acolytes passing seeds of ancient ceremonies, seed, seeding a foundational message carried from distant lands to, to this place. Stone circles and megaliths often arose amid upheaval. That's what he said. Uh, setting the stage at Gubekli Tepe's emergence. So like uh, Schmidt also championed this idea that he thinks that it could have been a megalith that was resurrected after maybe the Ice Age as a way to, as a blessing to a god to or the, something. Yeah. Maybe when they found that there was animals crops there, and crops and everything. Yeah. Like we need to, like this is the, this is a sacred land. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Possibly. Again, like finding Troy or Olympia or like Mayan ruins, it's kind of rewrote history because now we're like, wait one second. Um, so Earth was, human civilization was 2,000 years older than we thought. Or not even older. Like we, also, we just assumed hunting gatherers did not really think beyond just hunting and gathering food. Yeah, they built temples. Now the fact that they built temples, now we're like, Say, hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right. You know, usually the idea is that like you settle, you have time to think, you built temples you know what yeah. I mean but the fact that it was like you built temple without settling it contradicts what we thought about ourselves exactly and that's one big thing about Gopakli Tapis, right so like for example they found like in other places similar locations that also had like the T formations in, the, in and around the place in and so around it was Turkey. a consistent thing in the civilization at the time mm-hmm uh, but then they realized that the other places, there was somewhat of a culture that had emerged. These other places would have agriculture near them. So, like, it's as if they went and settled in this area. And then, like, you know what? What well, we saw in Gubakki Tepe, let's build here. Gubakki Tepe, it was older. Older. So maybe people found that temple before and uh, replicated it in the places they settled. So, maybe that people who live in that area mm. weren't the ones who did it. Yeah, so... It's of course, like we know the familiar narrative, like we said, of early farming communities. Gobekli Tepe, of course, defined, defied this convection, but it wasn't even about that. There was 200 T-shaped pillars, 200 built. Uh, their massive forms reaching towards the heavens, creating a breathtaking tableau spread across 20 stone circles with a language known only to its makers. Like there was not even anything. Like, you know, I mean, like just pictures of animals. What do they mean? No one knows. No one knows. Uh, Might be closer to hieroglyphics as well, right? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. And then, the, so of course, this creates a paradox, right? At the t- as time marches on, the pillar. So, of course, in like anything, it's being built upon, right? So, you have the first layer, which is built upon. And then, of course, after like years, like 
it goes underground and then you kind of have people built upon that and built upon that you know like yeah, any yeah. civilization like it's there's a foundation and then you, you just build cities on top yeah. of that Gubelki Tepe is no different it's built it's been built upon so that means people have come back and realized that like oh it's getting sunk let's build more on top of it with time the pillars grew smaller the ones that were being built after their grandeur like was becoming less and less it's it became clear that like this is like this is the beginning of the end of the site like people weren't giving it the much attention anymore mm-hmm. for example there were wooden circles instead of stone circles the it's like half-assing it there was at some point images stopped there was no more carvings it just tea temple or tea maybe they couldn't continue it or couldn't continue it yeah so with smith's passing different theories emerged one of the biggest theories is that like oh Schmidt used to think that it took hundreds of people to build these, to labor and build these temples, right? Of course, after his passing, we found out in the Easter Island, the megaliths, the heads, were just done by few labors. Like, it was like 20 people who did it. So it shows that maybe Gobekli Tepe was made by lesser people, not by a whole cult of 200 or 300 people. Was it a place of worship, right? Was it, what was Gobekli Tepe trying to tell us, right? How did people interact with the locations around them, like Nivelli Shori, Karhan, what did, how did they interact with Gopakli Tapi? If they came 2,000 years later and found it, how did they react to it? Yeah. We don't know. Like, that's his one question we'll hopefully we'll figure it out, but it's always going to be an enigma. And like, so we have a 2,000 year gap that we're trying to thread. Together. Not even. Like, think about this. If writing was evolved at 6,000 BCE, 5,000 BCE, you're talking about like first ever writing, Mesopotamia, you know what I mean? If Gopakli Tapi was built closer to like 9,000 BCE, that's 4,000 years of lost history. Of not hunters and gatherers, but people who settled and built on something. Or who, who that transition from hunter and gatherer to settling is kind of like, we do not, like we, we have an estimate when people started agricultural farming, but we don't really know why. We don't know how. We don't know where it was actually. St- and Gobekli Tepe now pushes the clock backwards. Because now it's it like. It seems like every time we find new di- these new discoveries, our timeline goes further and further back. Exactly. So. This gives us to another site that was found. It's called the Urfa Man, which is a statue of a dude, a life-size statue of a person that was carved 11,000 years ago. That I found it from Gobekli Tepe. Oh, really? Yeah. Who's this man? No one knows. But it's a, it's a dude. 11,000 years ago. 11,000 years ago. And let's not forget the naked people. Yeah. So who are these people? Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, however, it goes beyond the individual sculptures too. Like we also have like we said within the stone enclosures, carved animals. There, what were the animals that were carved? Feral pigs, foxes, gazelles, vultures, and snakes. Those were the ones that were adorned across the pillar. Uh, each with a tale to tell. These carvings seem to dance between the realm of the spiritual and the practical. So these animals weren't 100% like authentic drawings of these animals. They were kind or of, it was symbolic. It was like morphed. Yeah. yeah. Raising well, co- the creativity as well. Exactly, but it also raises a question. Are these animals based on belief or based on ritual? Did they worship them or did they sacrifice them? Where is there even a sacrifice? Or they're just observation. Or are they just like drawing animals they observe, like on the cave paintings? And then they got creative with it and merged them. Uh, It also also goes, uh, the enigma also deepens, as most of these animals went naturally around the area. Weren't? No. Like, for example, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think, I think uh, foxes were not, not, were not. You never know at that time. You never know. Could these enclosures have served both as like temples and homes? Could the people just crash there within the enclosure? There's also like, because the thing is like we said, we found animal remains. So that means people must have at least eaten there. Yeah. Uh, there's human remains there. Bones, skeletons. Could the people bury their dead there? 
was it a ritualistic practice of just burying the dead sacrifices uh, it, it could be at the end of like a huge ass grave but then why would they or go could it just people after the ice age were looking for a place to crash they found it <laughs> seriously maybe like they didn't settle there it was a pit stop and because they found the temples they didn't decide to settle settle there mm. because like this is clearly something divine let us just appreciate it and go like you know when people go to Mecca and sleep there yeah in the mosque it could be something like that like you don't sleep in the car but they're just like okay I'll sleep here you want to know how tall the earth man was 1.8 meters tall the statue oh okay interesting so like we said pictures of feral pigs foxes gazelles vultures too which is surprising but the narrative also takes a daring twist as we venture more into this uh there's no female pictures yeah it's sure. even the animals they're all male animals interesting but, uh, that is interesting and all the men or like all the statues are of dudes like there's no female so they're, statues they're clearly a patriarchal is it i don't society. know um, the, unless unless the people who went there were the men and the women stayed in the villages True, true. Yeah, maybe. maybe. It was only the men who were allowed who to Who went to this pilgrim. But then again, why would they carve just dudes? They each other. Jack, I want you to draw me like one of your French girls. <laughs> maybe. But they for artistic uh, enjoyment. Kind of like a Statue of David type of thing. Let's just draw. What else are they going to do? There's no TV. You got to realize there's no entertainment at the time. Or the entertainment Yeah, but like else. you have to keep... But like for you to have time to sit and draw means you had to have to have an abundance Man. of food available. May, yeah, which was the animals that they found. Yeah, but like these are wild animals. They weren't domesticated. Maybe they had, bought food with them during the pilgrimage. Hey, we're going to go check out that temple with the Let, Bring some food and let's like, yeah, let's go take away. Yeah, let's go there and draw. Guys, night out. <laughs> that is for the boys. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds too, I'm not saying they built the temple. I'm not saying. I'm saying they found this place and they're like, okay, this is a good spot. So you for think Bucky Tepe was older than the car? Okay, what about the carvings of dudes on the pillar? You think that Maybe was done later? Yeah. Maybe. And it's not just that. It's like, okay, here's this cool spot we found. Okay. Mm. Maybe it's a meditative thing. They got high and they went to draw. Could be. Yo, that could be true. They could have like got high on something. Or they got drunk and let's go get drunk and draw in. I'm feeling the vibe and let's draw the animals and let's merge. Shout out to our beer episode. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, how do we know it wasn't a spot for either religious or boys? <laughs> it was a man cave. <laughs> the world's a- first ever man cave. Yeah. <laughs> um, and maybe they found this spot. Yeah. Like, okay, this is cool. This must be something. Let's not touch it. Let's move here and we visit it every now and then. Yeah, so, um, so like I said. Or. So, or. Aliens. Yeah, of course. Where was it an alien temple? I don't know, and aliens were drawing men they saw? Yeah, everything. <laughs> Maybe. I mean they didn't see aliens don't see women. Maybe. They only see penis. <laughs> I primal <laughs> So like we said, there was no there was rarely any sight of females in this. And of course the most a thing that was drawn were animals. Animals did reign supreme. In stark contrast to the farming societies of old it was really dominated by hunters, like animal, like dominated. Um, like this was a like everyone knows this was a hunter's site. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't a place where people settled. No, enclosure C of Gbekli Tepe even uh, beckons us with the three 
concentric walls, each telling a story on stone. So for example, there was in the enclosure, we got a tale of pigs. Uh, they also found the uh, depends of human skulls. So there's a theory that this could have been a cult of death type of thing. Maybe this is where men would go to die. Die, maybe. Like some kind of Valhalla shit. And then they would draw, they would just chill there until they die. Yeah, so there was rumors that it could have been, a because of the human remains they found, they found that this could have been a cult of something. Interesting. So what's interesting in 1980s in the Valley Shori, the location that would also like spark a lot of debate, they also found the statue of a snake bearer, uh, a mesmerizing figure with a venomous viper erupting from its crown. Nearby, another city called Cortec Tepe or Chortec Tepe unveils the troth of serpents too. So like this clearly snakes played a big part in this area. You know what I mean? And I feel like snakes were probably still one of the most feared perhaps at the time yeah because of how like you see a pig and you think it's scary but then you see a snake that's slithering. i don't know bro feral pigs look scary yeah i know but then you <laughs> see a slithering snake that could wrap itself around and surprise people forget the snake is always deceptive right yeah i think it has a venom with a bite that poison and if you get bit by a pig you get away you get bit by venom you'll feel it like two hours later so they're like man what is this menacing creature the, so there's an idea that perhaps gobekli tepe was a melting pot of different ideas and beliefs like kind of like mecca at the time so yeah so that, that's one of the like ideas that okay so we saw like these snakes in other locations maybe people just came and drew their image of what they saw you know so people like hunters went there they saw gazelles they drew gazelles other people came later it's maybe yeah, it's yeah. not the same people who drew all this true as the air falls on the grand stage of correctly tepe the answers always elude us we don't know anything like there's questions every time they discover something it's just more questions what type of people were there what could talk you know was this just a staging ground or for transient gatherings did the people who were gathering just stop there as a r&r you know what i mean gobekli tepe was kind of like a rest spot for hunters and gatherers mm-hmm. as they were waiting they carved bounced yeah it could have been uh, that. Could have been that. Uh, as they were migrating after the ice age. Could have been a place for feasting. Different hunters meet up here to feast. True. Um, you know what I mean? Of course. The equivalent of like a bar. Like we said, the most cryptic thing is the human remains. Uh, more than the animal remains. Animal remains, you could just say people just ate there. But the fact that they found human skull fragments uh, showed evidence of decapitation and defleshing. Uh, decapitation? Mm-hmm. Okay, that says. Yeah, so then that gives us, is this an ancient rite? Or did people bring people they warred with here? Was it uh, like, meet me here, on guard? Maybe. Um, these bones hold stories that only time has heard. A dance of life and death, maybe. A dance that stretches from Gebekli Tepe for, to the farthest regions of human experience. A city of stone, a sanctuary of secrets. That's pretty much what Gebekli Tepe is. Like, we, we don't know. Like, for example, were there violent conflicts? Were there droughts? Was it a primal survival area? Was it the shifting of the world? Was Gobekli Tepe the, sh- all the barrier that shifted the world? Who are the people who went there? Were there women there? Was it only a dude's place? You know what I mean? We Now we have to kind of think back. Okay, so what do we do? We have, this th- we have this place. Now let's look at the world of how it was. So who were the people who built the temple? So we need to go back to 12,000 BCE when the Ice Age gripped Europe for about 10 millenniums. Finally, it kind of it released its icy hold, allowing for the southern Tartarus Mountains to bask a green embrace. Ice melts, grass grows, 
you know. Uh, the foothills flourished with life as uh, these once barren plateaus all kind of grew with vitality as the world transitioned to New Eden. So now we began to see animals, uh, gazelles and wild boars started to roam, feeding on the new formed agriculture from after the Ice Age. Birds venturing. This is the life that happened after the Ice Age. So for the Paleolithic humans endure these hard conditions, these newfound lands must have felt like an enchanted sanctuary. It's crazy to think some like humans were living through an Ice Age, huh? Yeah. A shift in the climate evidenced by its ice cores from prehistoric times make it mark the period of increased rainfall and rising temperature after the last glacial peak of 13,000 BCE. These changing conditions paved the way for a transformative era where humans began to tread a new path. As these early humans gradually transitioned from nomadic lifestyles to settling within familiar territories, uh, they found themselves amidst a landscape rich with both danger and sustenance. They saw that there were new animals, fierce carnivores, venomous reptiles who shared the stage with them. And this is where Gobekli Tepe's builders were emerged from. Gobekli Tepe was almost in the center of other Neolithic sites at the time, each a testament to the draw, to the dawn of agriculture. So all of them kind of started developing agriculture with Gobekli right. Tepe in the center. As ice sheets withdrew, life unfolded. People began to experiment with settled way of life. By 10,800 BCE, we began to see something called uh, the Younger Darius, uh, which plunged the world back into a si- slightly colder, drier conditions for around another millennium. We hadn't got another... Wow another ice age promote so this could have prompted communities to change the way they live again right as waters became uh, as water sources became vital they started to find way that we need to settle closer to water for future and we start need to find ways to experiment with food production so we don't deal so we with don't this struggle age. again hence why we get sowing of crops trending uh, tending to cereals and eventually so yeah so we have the story of transition from foraging to farming right uh, and it continues to evolve. Recent years have seen the emergence of more nuanced narrative. One tells of multiple origins instead of one basic origins. So it's not just one place that started agriculture. It's different places started agriculture All around at the, the same, same time. time yeah. yeah. Uh, the notion of a singular Neolithic revolution uh, has given way to a complex web of experiments, failures, and adaptations that span generations. The journey to agriculture was not an overnight transformation as well, but a gradual process of marked by rich trials and tribulations. By the time the first monoliths at Gobekli Tepe arose from the earth, humans had already spent over a decade experimenting with farming. Animal husbandry, on the other hand, followed a different path. So the stones in Gobekli Tepe, etched with carvings, hold no evidence of domesticated animals, like we said. But this process, which fundamentally alters animal physiology, uh, is feasible only for a limited number of species. The challenge of captive breeding often leads to infertility or deformities. So as these puzzles come together, the notion of farming that drove to... Uh, Sedanism finds itself challenged even at places like uh, Sheilnu, uh, a sparling Neolithic settlement like we mentioned. Domestic a- domesticated animals were, were scarce. Hunting was still the main occupation. So it showed that people were settling, but still, still hunting. Kind of throwing away this idea that agriculture came. Once you settled, you settled. settled. Yeah. So we know the term of the Neolithic Revolution, right? which was introduced in 1920 by V. Gordon Child to describe a shift from hunter-gatherers' way of life to what we call today farming, right? This is called the Neolithic Revolution. Child attributed this uh, transition to climate change that once uh, led to the depletion of lush forests and plains. So once the forests and plains were kind of destroyed by the Ice Age, humans and animals converged at one remaining oasis and decided that they would domesticate there. So it's like as if like humans just got, walked around and this is like where all the animals would gather because this is the only sp- the spot. The warm spot almost. Yeah, and they would hang out there and this is where domestications happen. 
While many archaeologists continue to attribute the Neolithic Revolution to a blend of uh, climactic and demographic factors, Jack uh, Coven stood as a significant exception. In the 1970s, he proposed that the early form of religious belief centered around worship of bulls and fertility goddesses played a role in shaping the worldview that paved way for agriculture. Like it was religion that led to agriculture. Uh, Schmidt contends that Gobekli Tepe supports the second theory that clearly religion... Uh, like by worshipping, they settled in the place. Yeah, to be closer to the worship centers. In their temple. Yeah, uh, he, he kind of agreed with this. Not, ne- not necessarily the fertility goddess part, because like we said, no females. Uh, Smith suggests that, transi- that the transition was based to... Um, suggests that the transition from animism to centralized religion and the form of egalitarian to hierarchical society started there. So he said that... Um, uh, so he said, for example, that he believed that Gobekli Tepe also had a, hi- hi- a hierarchical society, uh, which, of course, defeats the purpose of what we come to know that it was economics that created hierarchies. Not, but he says no hierarchies existed before economics. More, I think it was more about strength than religion. Uh, I don't I I think I, it's economical. I don't buy into. I don't know. I think economics. But then again, that's really like you're going to go into Marxist theory of history, right? Yeah. Uh, he grounds the theory less on the specific symbolism of Gobekli Tepe, whose meaning remains enigmatic, but more on the fact that its construction required labor efforts. He's like, who would build this out of free will? So he says there must be someone who's commanding the labor. Yeah, why would they do it? Exactly. This implies a need for stable food sources, division of labor, and Smith suggests that these uh, social developments could have triggered a shift to agriculture. Uh, an intriguing aspect of the Neolithic Revolution is that contrary to expectation, the adoption of agriculture seems to have resulted in a decline in the quality of life. Farming has relied on cultivating a few staple crops, left communities vulnerable to sudden crop failures and ba- due to bad weathers or pests because they never take into account the pesticide, right? Mm. Uh, evidence indicates that early farmers had more health issues such as anima, vitamin deficiency, and shorter lifespans. Because they're eating one source of food yeah. now, yeah. Likely due to close proximity of livestock and other animals, leading to increased disease transmission. True, so, yeah. Uh, skeletal studies in Greece and Turkey revealed a significant decrease in the average height of humans as well between the end of the Ice Age to 3000 BCE. Uh, suggesting a decline in overall health. Uh, questions arise then. Why would societies persist in such a challenging way? Were hunter-gatherers initially drawn on temporary abundance brought by increased food production? However, population growth caught up. People were just growing faster. More population means he needed to find more food for us. Not everyone could become a hunter-gatherer. Thus, they became locked into a cycle of farming to sustain these numbers. And comforts as well. Exactly. The shift eventually led to the displacement of many hunter-and-gatherer populations by expanding farming societies. Um, Jared Diamond uh, sees this agriculture as a grave mistake in human history giving rise to social inequality disease and despotic regimes so but meanwhile he he wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for it (laughs) he talks but (laughs) if it wasn't for the agricultural revolution you wouldn't be where you are right now talking about it you know it's like so these guys so yeah, so of course this kind of creates the, what we call the Garden of Eden allegory, which highlights the emotional and political significance of the Neolithical Revolution. The interpretation gained attention when Gobekli Tepe was proposed as the site of Eden, drawing on its location, yeah, imaginary of agricultural representation, and, tra- from, and the transition from hunter-gatherers to farming. If the Garden of Eden should be a farming agriculture, like the beginning of that agriculture. This was a new haven. This was a new and haven. And snakes were pretty prominent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the fall from grace mirrors the shift from 
it's a metaphor. Absolutely. If you want to go that the Bible is a metaphor, then they say, they say that the fall from grace mirrors the shift from life of companionship and abundance to one marked by extreme tiresome. So the fall of Adam was not necessarily a fall from heaven, but a fall, like the hardships of farming. Yeah. Uh, the fall of man from uh, life. This perspective raises questions about whether agriculture represented a fundamental shift in human history or if our perception has been shaped by the past few millenniums. Um, what changed what? What came first? Mm. Uh, different worldviews hinge on these answers. So, for example, Engels, uh, the lesser of the Marx Engels. Of course, you have to bring. <laughs> so, Engels believed in a prehistoric era of communalism, proto communism. Uh, Darwin saw that man's jealousy as a fundamental driver of human bra- behavior. Freud viewed civilization as a trade off between happiness and repression. So, that's how other people are trying to interpret this shift in human life. But in the end, it's all the same, it shifted. Exactly. Why we shifted is what everyone's trying to figure out. So this culture shift could have been linked to religious experience and rituals, right? As early societies sought to establish dominance over the natural world and secure their survival, this could have been the start place of religion. And Gobekli Tepe, with its symbolism, oriented cravings, and communal gatherings, may have played a pivotal role in fostering this collective consciousness that propelled humans toward agriculture and societal cohesion. Because it's the one place that represents the oldest concept of consciousness. Exactly. Uh, Jack Coven's theory aligns with this idea that religion and ritual were integral to the fabric of human society, society, serving as the condense of communal bonding and cultural evolution. For sure. So this is why I'm bringing all this, like, what are other people thinking? Because this shift, the biggest debate is what came first, agriculture, civilization. Now, Gobekli Tepe kind of fights that because, like, bro, okay, you have this place of worship. Clearly, it's a place that's sacred but to something. this was during the hunters and gatherers era. So... What came first? How did hunters and gatherers have time to do this if they were too busy hunting and gathering? Exactly. Unless uh, the men told their wives they were hunting and they went to chill out. <laughs> yeah. So now let's wrap it up quickly and let's talk about alternative theories to what's Gobekli Tepe. So number one, natural formation hypothesis. This, so this theory suggests that these massive stone pillars were just, and structures could have just been naturally formed due to geological processes and then they drew on such it. as erosion tectonic activity prominence of this it's de- interesting do we build temples because we've seen it and it was just there so we saw something similar built by a volcano like a, like a hill mm. that was solidified by molten maybe and then the like let's rec- how do we recreate this or a st- like a stone pillar that's been eroded and yeah. it looks like an erect stone pillar and then we start building based on that maybe cool I don't know. That's actually a very big... Uh, Claim? Yeah. Oh, damn. And the fact that there's some of them that have, like, lack... Not all of and them they have... they just drew on it, and they're like, how can we replicate it? Let's keep trying and trying and trying. Which developed our brains more. Made <laughs> us more problem-thinking, problem-solving. I don't know. Many archaeologists, uh, in the mainstream archaeologists, uh, reject this idea due to the deliberate... Like they say, that these stones seem too deliberate to be made naturally. But do you see what I mean? I'm seeing, Some yeah. things, like... How do you know something is deliberate if it never existed? It's the, it's like when you see uh, some natural wonder that developed through something, like, mm. you know, it seems deliberate, but it's not. Like face on a stone type of yeah, thing. That yeah, that kind of stuff, yeah. yeah. Like when they see Mars, something that looks like a pyramid, but it's not. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. But then that, but that could be eye perception. You're trying to create it. Yeah, okay, the eye perception saw the thing and they kept going with and it. And it looked like a T. Or, or that temple... Or the pillar mm-hmm. was a bit wide, and they're like, let's just carve it a bit. Archaeologists say that this can't be true because of the d- deliberate arrangements. But then again, they say, what well, about the carving and the symbols? You can't just, they can't naturally form. 
unless you're saying someone saw it and just carved on it. Yeah, so they probably like fine-tuned it. But then to find like 25 acres of like 12 rings of stone, that's kind of an improbability, no? You don't know how <laughs> Earth was then, man. Maybe. Everything we have on Earth is theoretical. So what's theory number two, Aim? Aliens. No, it was used for astronomy. Some theories propose that Gobekli Tepe could have served as like the Stonehenge, an astronomical observation or a poor calendar, or like a way to keep time. Uh, they point to the alignment between the structures and celestial events, suggesting that the site use, usually attracts uh, solace, equinox, or, or astronomical phenomenon. Um, of course, there's not enough evidence to support that. I mean, there's nothing that supports that. It's not like you could look at through like the Stonehenge, you look at like one of them and you can see the equinox at a certain time, you know? Unless they wanted it to point to the stars. Maybe. Number three, ancient aliens. No, man, that's ridiculous. <laughs> These theories propose... <laughs> These theories propose that Gobekli Tepe, like other ancient sites, of course, that's now in the western part, was clearly built by an enhanced <laughs> extraterrestrial being who influenced human civilization. You laugh, but then. But then. You know how they're saying Mars probably had like. Intelligent life. Like history showing that millions of years ago. Yeah, but I don't think they were humanoids. I don't Maybe think they were. Maybe not humanoids. Maybe humans <laughs> replicating something like that. I'm just saying, it's not as far-fetched as someone saying it was naturally formed. However, there's no empirical evidence to sustain these claims. There's, um... there's no empirical <laughs> evidence for anything we claim. Uh, I guess. Now, number four. Like the hunters and gathers. Things keep getting proven wrong. Number four, and of course, this kind of got more popular due to the Ancient Apocalypse documentary on Netflix, uh, Lost Civilization Hypotheses. Uh, some alternative interpretations that it says Gobekli Tepe was constructed by an advanced civilization that predates human history, uh, e.g. Atlantis. I, I think so. I think to be honest, from the alternative, to be honest, that's this the most one. likely. I think society was a lot more advanced than me, and a lot more advanced earlier than what when we thought. Now, proponents of this view often argue that the complexity of the site and the carvings and the structural and the structure exceeds anything that expected from Neolithic uh, societies. However, this theory disregards that the established timeline of human cultural development, like we said, the Neolithic Revolution. And of course, there was an ice age where you're going to tell me that uh, people survived a thousand years in the ice age without losing anything. Um, human cultural development and lacks concrete evidence of an existence of such civilization yet around what, this area. What if uh, it was before the ice age and when it melted, this is what was But left. if the ice age lasted like 5,000 years. Dethawing. Like these, these places where you thought, but carbon dating, bro. Uh, true. Um, true. Megalithic cultures. So this theory proposes that Gobekli Tepe is a remnant of a megalithic culture that existed independently next to Neolithic sites. Advocates suggest that megalithic builders may have been responsible for the construction of this site due to the precession of stonework. However, there's limited archaeological evidence for the existence of such culture. What about dinosaurs? What if dinosaurs built this? <laughs> yeah, T-Rex built it. Yeah. As, as like a... Uh, a last ditch effort to save you like the comet is coming this is, is an yeah. SOS <laughs> yeah humans came and drew on it <laughs> the, yeah. the T-Rex looking at it from heaven with yeah. a tear like uh, let me build this yeah number six was it a shamanistic ritual site it was yeah. uh, while not entirely alternative some researchers proposed that to go back to Tepe was a, was a center of not a temple but a, a shamanistic ritual think of it more like an oracle of Delphi the theory is based on the presence of, of carvings, as we said, uh, depicting animals, humanoid features. There's also possible sh shamanistic symbols we don't know. Also, there's also 
uh, one thing that like promotes this argument is the fact of skulls, especially decapitated skulls. What if this was just the hub for all of civilization? To come just meet here at the end of the day? Like a long-ass pilgrimage. And the women couldn't because they had to tend to the children. Or tend to farming. And they're like, when I go die, I want to go die there. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe it's a place to go die. It could or maybe be. people are like, yo, there's this place that has all this greenery. You have to check it out. Husbands be like, well, go check it. And let you but go. it's not as green enough as you'd think, though, as we mentioned. Yeah, but like maybe there's weird temples and animals. And then when they go, they're like, it's not as much. Perhaps. Um, in summary, while these alternative theories often vary, give various explanations, they often lack empirical evidence. Of course, nothing, it's all just assumptions. The prevailing consensus, we said, between mainstream archaeologists is that it was a religious and ceremonial site constructed by early Neolithic communities. However, due to the complexity of the site and limited evidence available, debates and alternative viewpoints are likely to continue. Uh, as we venture deeper into the complexities, so yeah, so this kind of gives us the ending of Gobekli Tepe. We don't have really any solutions. We're still trying to figure it out. It's one of the, it's a very, like, 1994 it was first excavated. So it's still a pretty it's young site. It's time, yeah. And only 5%. Um, but Gobekli Tepe so far in a short period of time has transcended everything we know. Um, it transcended what, what the human experience is about. It transcends what, what's the human connection, the fact that we came together and labored and built this. Uh, it... It challenged the way we think about how the human society was developed, human consciousness had developed. Clearly, like there's the idea that consciousness came after farming, but did it? No. You know Based what I mean? on this, no. No. Um, was this the birthplace of the gods? Could this be the beginning of revo uh, revolution? Was this the beginning of religion? Could Gobekli Tepe be the world's first ever religion? If so, what was their religion? Or what was this ancestral quest for spiritual en enlightenment that drives... That and their unyielding drive to unravel the mysteries of existence. That's Gobekli Tepe. Like I said, it's an interesting, ask, very interesting uh, episode. That's why I decided to do it, and I decided to wait for you because I'm pretty sure you, you love this. Yeah, and AI wouldn't have been as interested. You know, it wouldn't. And um, and I know you love these uh, big what if stories that like that make you say like, man, like human trajectory has completely been. Uh, you and I kind of like that. Um, we never know. Yeah, the whole we don't know. Um, and they're open to speculations. So, anyways, Aim, that was Gobekli Tepe. Anything you want to talk about about it? <laughs> no, it's, I think we covered a lot of it there. Like, it's all the theories make sense, even the alternative ones, to be honest. You just like, it's all out there. It's, it is. It's what, like, until we've gathered more, like we said, 5% has only been excavated. Exactly. So it's all hypothetical until it becomes mm. pathetical. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all hypothetical until, we get, until it's not hype anymore. Anyways, um, I, hope, I hope in our lifetime we get to learn more about Gabakti Tapi. Maybe finally we could get an answer in this lifetime. Hopefully. But yeah, guys, so this was Gobekli Tepe, um, the world's first ever temple. Was it a religious temple? Was it not? Um, what Was it a place of burial? Was it just a man cave? Uh, let us know what you guys think. Uh, we'd like to know what you thought about it. Uh, call to action. Follow us on Instagram. I should do this in the beginning of the episode. Follow, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at convo underscore btwe. 
uh, give us any recommendations for future episodes. I'm down to get any recommendations. It's really exhausting trying to pick one. So anything will help. And yeah, and thanks and see you when we see you. See you guys. It sounds crazy.